Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello, and welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. My name is Tony Sager. I'll be your host today. Today, we're talking about this theme of see yourself in cyber. And joining us in this discussion today is my guest and an old friend, Murray Kenyon of U.S. Bank. Murray, welcome aboard. Thanks for joining us today. Well, again, thanks for uh, for the opportunity to be with you today. Thanks for the important work that uh, CIS does. Um, you know, and my my role is to oversee cybersecurity partnerships on behalf of U.S. Bank's information security mission. Primarily, I engage with the federal government, the executive branch, not not the legislative branch. Uh, the executive branch, uh, trade associations, peer institutions, and a handful of academic institutions. Um, and it's a it's a functional area that I've been involved in going back to my time in federal government. Um, and in a sense, it's really kind of my sweet spot. Uh, building and maintaining partnerships and helping organizations deliver value to one another is really what turns me on. Yeah, Murray, you know, my, my uh, uh, long extended work time with you was back at the National Security Agency where you ran our customer service organization. And uh, that was a uh, large grab bag, everything from transactional stuff to strategy and interaction with customers. Tell, tell us about the, the human dimension of that. And you know, this, this challenge of helping customers achieve their mission in a really high-tech world where the value that we brought from the agency was often like super techie or in an esoteric or unique language. What about the human part of that? Okay. Um, well, even, even if a relationship is very specialized, communication is a key part of both building and sustaining relationships. And really at any level of, uh, I mean, you use, you use the word techie, any, any level of the techie spectrum, if you will, uh, whether it's just an initial discussion of joining a trade association or it's working together to solve a more thorny problem, someone has to be able to effectively uh, communicate what the, uh, the objectives, the outcomes, desired outcomes, and, and how we're going to tackle a problem. Um, early in a Early in a partnership, there will be a host of administrative details that uh, need to be worked. And you have to question whether you want, uh, or you have to ask the question, who do you want to handle those details? Is it that super techie subject matter expert who may have to be pulled off other projects that are very, very important, which only he or she can do? Or is there someone else who might be able to handle the, the range of administrative details? Um, every enterprise I've ever been involved with uh, has people who are a mile deep technically, and you want them working on those one or two or three things that they're really subject matter experts in. Uh, but every organization also needs people who are about a, an inch deep, uh, but a mile wide in terms of the breadth of the things that they can handle. Um, and that's really that's really where where again where my sweet spot and the sweet spot of my team is. We're an inch deep technically, but we're a mile wide in terms of the things that you can throw to throw at us 
in uh, terms of, uh, of cybersecurity. Um, when the time comes, of course, and we need to go deep, we're going we're gonna to try and identify that subject matter expert that can go deep on the highly technical issues. But uh, we'd, we'd rather that person was working the issues that they need to be working rather than having to figure out how to, how to work administrative stuff. Yeah, and it, it, administrative stuff. I guess in in the work that I've watched you do over the years, Murray, it's you know, the administrative stuff uh, understates the complexity, right? That every customer is complicated, dealing with a complicated world. And so there's a, there's a term I use. I think it came from Future Shock or something, and I, and I use it incorrectly or differently. Uh, high tech, high touch. The more high tech everything gets, the more high touch really matters, right? Because the customer is struggling with those same you know mile deep kinds of issues. And the ability to work with them, you know, to have that conversation you talked about, right? Sort of pull out, you know, not what they're asking for, but what they need. Yeah, it, it absolutely does, Tony. Um, the the trick is that um, people who people who work in a highly technical environment will will often ask for a solution rather than stating their problem. And uh, you know, when you're working across uh, organizational boundaries you may have a solution that they've never thought of. And so if you can get them to the point where during the communication phase that they will articulate what their problem is rather than what their assumed solution is, you may be able to bring something to the table. But that's, it's, it's an art form, I think, more than science to, uh, to elicit that, to work together, to really communicate what is it we're trying to achieve here. And once you can, once you can agree on that, then you can be much more creative on both sides of the conversation. Right. That's a great way to phrase it. I remember back in the days when we worked together, I used to say, you know, if we gave the customer what they asked for, I could have taken my entire organization and we would have turned it into one gigantic red team. We would have been finding the same problems over and over again, but a lot faster. <laughs> and so we're talking about the skill of you know, human touch, not, not high tech you know, our ability to understand the other person's mission or the other person's business model. Now, you need to know it enough to make uh, uh, good decisions and good offer good guidance about the security problems that they're trying to solve. And I think that's a real skill, something that's uh, understated when we think about what's required to be successful in this business. So I have to ask you a question, Murray, because you and I come from the same background. I've heard you describe yourself as a liberal arts guy in an uber tech career. Now, how did that prepare you, though, for this kind of path? So, so I would contend that even in um, any technical enterprise, you need people that can operate horizontally. Uh, you need the accountants, you need the assessors, the auditors, I, I mean, really A to Z whatever you want to call the, the function. Uh, but there will be a limited number of people that have the skills to go hands-on keyboard, you know, whether they're cyber threat hunters or, or, or whatever the, uh, uh, the particular technical skill is. Uh, you really need that range of skills in an organization, and that's what makes the organization work. I mean, I, I work in, a, in, in an environment, uh, you know, and, and I think this, this holds out sort of in the information security community that maybe as many as much as 50 or 60 percent of the cybersecurity professionals are not typically hands-on keyboard on a day-to-day -day basis 
they're doing other things like compliance, like governance, like risk calculations. So the ability to bring together a whole range of talents, uh, understanding skills to make sense of complicated situations, right? And express them in a way that supports decision makers, that lets people make good choices about risk. I think there's really an, an important part of that. And that's, that's part of our theme that we're really trying to address in the episode here is around the um, seeing yourself in this, right? That is lots of people have an influence or a role in this cyber business. Um, some of them understand it, some of them don't. And so pulling all that together, I suspect that's a, that's a part of what you do. Tell me a little bit more about your, your role at U.S. Bank. Around what, what does a successful partnership look like? You talked about uh, trade associations and, and customers and so forth. But what are you looking for as you try to pull parties together to, with the, um, uh, with the uh, abilities that U.S. Bank has to help people with these problems? Yeah, I think, Tony, there are um, any relationship is based on value. Um, and I think that there are several types of relationships that, uh, that um, work for us. Um, most of them uh, don't develop just overnight. It's not, you know, it's not clear going in what the value will be, but there's, there's that inkling that there's going to be value. So you, you walk into a partnership and you may find that uh, that, that partnership is really, really important to you. I like to call those durable partnerships. Um, there is ongoing and enduring value that you exchange with one another. Um, it's, it's important in some cases that you be in that partnership uh, for collateral reasons. Uh, there, may be, there may be a regulatory reason to be in a partnership. There may be an oversight reason to be in a, in a partnership. Um, but there, there's another category of partnerships that we enter into as well, um, and those are what I tend to call discretionary. That doesn't mean they're less important, but it probably means that the issue or the relationship is not as enduring as the, uh, as the more durable ones. Uh, it may simply mean that the problem that you're attacking was um, more uh, prone to be solved in a short term. Uh, you know, throw, throw, throw your technical talent at it, throw your resources at it, get it taken care of now, and then you're done with it. And you may find that, okay, that, that partnership, you will have the enduring relationship, but, but the intense partnership may not be, may not be necessary. And I, and I start that way because, you know, what constitutes success from a partnership um, perspective is going to be as different as the individual partnerships. Um, with with uh, some of the government agencies that I that I work with, uh, if we can get them to share information, and and most of them are willing to do it within the constraints of their authorities and the law and this that and the other thing. Um, if we can get them to share, that's that's success. Um, some of them, if we can get them to take our suggestions, uh, it tends to be often more in the trade association world. Um, you know, if we can get them to take our suggestions for a comment letter or for a position paper, that constitutes success. Um, I think personally, I love the fact that really no two days are alike. Um, and success today is not what success tomorrow may look like. Um, and I think I said it earlier, but uh, you cultivate these relationships over periods of months or, or years. Um, and then one day you kind of realize, hey, we're, we're at a really good place. Um, and, and you kind of wake up and go, hey, this is what success looks like. 
But if you if you take stock, you realize, hey, it's, it's taken us years or months at least to get to this point. And no individual day could we call out as a successful day. But in aggregate or, or, or collectively, they build on one another till you realize, hey, this is really working. So a lot of times you can't define it up front in a nice, neat one pager. You know, here's the goal of our partnership. Let's just both sign this and go. A lot of what you're talking about is about cultivating the sort of enduring relationship. I think you call it durability. That is, there are transactions that come and go, some specific things that might be part of it, but those are based upon this notion of a durable relationship. You know, I think this is what, what this is really about is about the long-term development of trust. I think one of the things that I talk about uh, occasionally, you know, they, they made us all take management classes back at NSA, right, Murray? And one of the things I remembered might have been from maybe the Stephen Covey book or something like that, that trust has two dimensions, sort of capability and character. That is, can the other person do the right thing? And will they need do the right thing when I need them to do the right thing? And you need both of those, right, in order to have a real trust relationship. You can't have confidence in their technical ability without an understanding of their character and vice versa. And some of that is only developed through this human dimension. That is getting to know people on a personal level. No, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right that um, the, the complexity comes because not only are the partners different, uh, you mentioned their maturity. Theirs and ours are different. Um, the objectives you're trying to achieve are different. Uh, some of the time you you join a you join a partnership because of the potential value that you hope to achieve. But you you go in and say, hey, let's let's try this for six months and let's see if it works. Um, now you wouldn't say let's let's sign formal paperwork and you know, exchange money and documents and, you know, six years from now, we'll determine if it's, if it's valuable to us or not, but let's give it a try. And even those kinds, uh, at the end of that six months, if you say, well, this was, this was a learning experience, but it just didn't pay pan out the way we wanted. What that builds, I think, is that trust that the next time you're going to speak the truth and, and the other party can, it can, um, can trust, can, can can be confident and have the trust that what you say is is based in 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 rationale in reason uh, you've thought through this um, but uh, you know the the uh, the word that came to mind as you asked the question to me was reputation um, and you know organizations develop reputations individuals develop reputations and what that is it, it really rests on on the trust that you mentioned there may come a time where, where uh, Murray says something that doesn't make sense to someone else. Um, and, you know, they could take it the wrong way. And if they didn't know me or, or have, the, have the trust that I, was, uh, that I had noble intent or that, um, you know, maybe something was just taken out of context here, let's ask. If they didn't have that trust, they might not go that extra step of saying, let's ask. And some of the time the phone rings, or you get an email and, and, and it's just, you know, it's, wow, that if that's the way it came across, that's clearly not the way I intended it. And so you can even build the trust by, by almost by, by admitting that you were wrong or what you said was not the best choice of words, that, that maybe they were misconstrued and that really what you were trying to accomplish and what you meant was thus and so. 
And that really helps a partnership too, because the next time that happens, we're all going to misspeak at times. The next time that happens, that, that partner will say, yeah, we've been down this road before. Let me call him and find out what he meant. Yeah, that, that's a really wonderful point, Mary. You know, that even things that are nominally not successful, right, can be the basis for future success because there's an understanding now that I'm going to get straight talk from Murray, you know, or, you know, he'll admit when he's wrong or, hey, if it's not worth our time to meet again for the, for a while till something changes, that's okay. In fact, better to know that, right? You, the other party would appreciate that. Let, let's take it from the sort of uh, organizational to the individual. I, I, I believe you've, you've talked about uh, things that U.S. Bank does to both work to educate consumers about this whole cyber issue, as well as things you're doing to help seed the educational environment through scholarships and to help others. And to share us with a little bit, you know, what your thinking is there and, and some of the activities. Yeah, that's a, that's an area that we um, we put some effort into, um, both in information security, but also the bank as a whole. Um, U.S. Bank has a number of different scholarship programs, uh, different educational engagement programs. Um, Information Security Services for the last six or seven years has been providing funding uh, for cybersecurity scholarships uh, to undergraduates um, or and graduates too. We, we typically leave it to the, to the uh, receiving institution to make that, that call. Um, but when I inherited the program, uh, which was three and a half, four years ago, um, we had four institutions, uh, higher, higher education. Uh, one was in the Cincinnati area where our security, cybersecurity uh, headquarters is located. Uh, one was in St. Louis and two were out on the West Coast. And as a, as a matter of fact, one of the West Coast institutions uh, is a standout two-year uh, college. Uh, so it's not just four-year institutions. Uh, we are in the process of adding two additional schools uh, to the mix this year and next year. Um, the real, the real rationale for that is to help shape the cybersecurity pipeline. Um, we want to, um, ensure that students have opportunities and, and, you know, I'd be, I'd emphasize that, that we spend a little bit of extra effort looking for disadvantaged places where, where it will really help both individuals, but also help programs and create a pi- that pipeline of th- that represents the diversity that we, we hope to see in cybersecurity. Um, there, are, there are tons out there. I mean, tons, I don't know the exact number, but the, the Centers of Academic Excellence in Cybersecurity Education, which you and I are both familiar with, um, they're, they're a great equalizer they can, um, you know, they, they, they represent a level of both uh, uh, content and rigor in curriculum that gives us, if you will, an independent attestation of what a student is coming out with. Uh, but they can't reach everybody. Uh, so it's important that we look at some of the, some of the community colleges, that we look at some of the, the uh, less, um, less traditional cybersecurity educational programs and help foster them as well. Um, not everyone who gets U.S. Bank funding for their education is going to come and work for us. Um, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is that a rising tide is going to lift all the boats. They're going to work for somebody that needs the same kind of expertise that we need. Um, some of us will come and some of them will come and work for us. And that's important to us. And, and we love it when they do. 
Um, but uh, we really want to build those opportunities where we can help uh, help uh, bring additional people into the cybersecurity community. Yeah, I think it's a great cause, and uh, you know, it's it's a it's a national issue. I mean, it's a lot of discussion for the last several years, and you know, the good news is we all recognize the need. A lot of great companies are willing to invest in that need, right? Independently, you know, and and independent of you know, you're not you're not counting on eighty percent of them to come work for you. You're counting them to to make the uh, economy a safer place to you know to conduct our business. And I think that's um, the other thing. It's really, you know, again, most of us of our generation, you and I just kind of stumbled into this business, right? You know, there really wasn't a plan. And maybe that was okay for the times, you know, you might argue. But, you know, then then you might also say, well, why didn't you old guys fix all these problems before us young folks got here? But I'd say right now there's a need for not only more people, but people of a wider diversity. And I, I mean that very broadly, you know people who have an understanding of the economics of the situation, of the business decision-making and the risks that go with that, and of the human dimension of all of this. So I think we really need to look more broadly at this uh, career and think about this, you know, as a social dimension, as opposed to a purely technical problem. Can we invent the thing that will solve the security problem? So I think these kind of outreach programs are really important because they take us into places, you know, not necessarily into the top engineering schools of the country, but more broadly uh, into an audience of people that are good thinkers, that can rationalize, that can put things into context. So Murray, I know one of the extra things that you do is to serve on the board for the National Cybersecurity Alliance. They're one of the big industry heavyweights in education and uh, addressing this whole dimension of people in cybersecurity. So we're coming up on the big month here, right? National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So tell me a little bit about your work for NCSA and maybe some of the big themes that you're looking at or some of the activity that you expect to see over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think uh, Cybersecurity Month every year is is very, very important. Um, this is the 19th year uh, of that. So it's it's got a track record, but it's... Uh, it's the National Cybersecurity Alliance, which is a nonprofit, cooperating with the, formerly the Department of Homeland Security, now the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is part of DHS. Um, but the entire month is dedicated to creating resources and communications for organizations and individuals uh, to talk to their employees, talk to their customers, talk to their coworkers, talk to their family about how to stay safe online. Um, you know, you, when you when you look at the newspaper, um, you know most cybersecurity news you read is is pretty depressing. It's about big data breaches. It's about hackers. It's it's about things that you know can can really overwhelm you all at once, and you feel like you have no power whatsoever. Um, one of the things that Cybersecurity Awareness Month uh, seeks to do is help everyone understand or remind people that there are, there are many kinds of ways to keep your data safe. Um, in fact, you know, this year NCA's emphasis uh, is, is that in reality, it's easy to stay safe online. There are relatively simple things that anyone can do. Uh, we call it cybersecurity hygiene often, which is, is a little bit clinical sounding word, but, but there are relatively simple things that, that most people can do to keep their, 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 uh, their, their online communications, their online personal information uh, safe. Uh, this year's Cybersecurity Awareness Month is focusing on four key behaviors. 
uh, enabling multi-factor authentication, uh, using strong passwords and password managers, updating your software frequently, and recognizing and reporting phishing. Uh, those, those, are, those are relatively simple things to do. There are resources available, both free and for fee, that uh, people can use uh, to, to enable all of those things. Uh, most of the email services, most of the online merchants now will offer multi-factor authentication. It's, yes, it's one more step in the process, but it's easy to do. And if it can keep someone from stealing your personal information, uh, then, you know, take that extra three or four seconds in the, in the logon process to make it happen. You know, Murray, it sounds like you and CIS are singing from the same song sheet. You know, we're right in sync with you on those themes of keeping it simple, you know, really uh, helping people. And, you know, even the name of our podcast, right? Cybersecurity Where You Are. It's not about dazzling them with technology. It's about how do we put cybersecurity in the, in the context of the work and the lives that we have. You know, it, it is, in fact, a, a complicated, high-tech kind of world. But I think as an industry, we tend to make it more complicated. You know, and it's, you know, people are just overwhelmed with the jargon with, and, and with the complexity itself. And, you know, you know, oh, my gosh, zero days and nation state attackers. And, you know, there's sort of a helplessness that comes with that. But, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're not, we're not here to make light of the problem or trivialize it. We're here to put it into context for people so they can make sense of it. I think we all agree that there are some basic steps that we all ought to follow. And, you know, they're in general agreement across the industry. None of, none of the, you know, whether you call it hygiene or how do I get started kind of stuff, none of these is a cure for world hunger or, you know, it's going to bring peace in our time, but they're important things to do, right? They're cost effective, they're foundational, they're things that you can build upon. And one of the really important things I like about the message that you're talking about here in the National Cybersecurity Alliance. It, it's consistent with uh, the way we think about risk in all other domains, you know, public health or safety of a bridge or flying on a commercial aircraft, right? We don't ask people to become experts in all these things. We provide machinery and advice and guidance in their language and in, you know, guidance about behaviors, for example, that allow them to live their lives and manage the risks at, a, at a, an intelligent you know, human level without becoming overwhelmed by it. I can accept that a commercial aircraft is uh, regulated, right? It's built according to some set of standards that, that the pilots are trained, you know, that everyone knows their responsibility. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's 100% safe all the time or that you can prevent all possible accidents, but it's a rational way for me to make a decision about a really complicated situation. You know, if I didn't have uh, some confidence in the machinery of risk that's operating kind of under the hood, but, you know, partly visible to me, I'd be paralyzed, right? I could, I could never do any risky things. And yet we do risky things every day without becoming experts in them. So those top four things, Murray, I, I'm sure we're really consistent at CIS with that in, in both the messaging and in the work that we're doing. You know, part of our challenge as an industry is to cut through all this clutter. We call it the fog of more at CIS. And the idea is to cut through all this complexity and help people focus on the things that they are trying to do. Right? It's not about the best technology. Is it, can I operate a business with confidence? Can I take action as a citizen, believing that there uh, you know, are 
some notion of safety and security that's operating on my behalf. So what are the behaviors we can ask people to engage in? And, and not things that are perfect, but things that provide a sick, significant boost in security and in their confidence, their ability to operate. I, I think that's the appropriate place to address these things. So yeah, the, you know, the work of in the National Cybersecurity Alliance is really so wide-reaching and really top-notch. So you know, it's a great message that you've got there. So let's talk a little bit about the average citizen here, and in particular about people that want to come into this field or that are coming into this field. You and I, you know, as we said before, kind of stumbled into this. You know, we're of that generation. We came from all kinds of places. And now people are making conscious choices to come into cybersecurity or we're reaching out to them to encourage them to come into cybersecurity. So, you know, people are looking for jobs. They're looking for something interesting technically, and they're looking for something meaningful to do, right? Something socially important. Any advice uh, you have for the newcomers into the field? What do you think people should be doing that would help them either prepare them or help them develop their skills or help them find their place in this whole cyber business? Yeah, Tony, I think that's uh, that's one of the very, very important components of, of solving the cybersecurity talent shortage that we talk about. Um, I, I, won't, I won't use a particular brand name, but I subscribe to the just do it mentality. Um, and, you know, there, there really are tons of resources out there and many of them are free to get a grounding in cybersecurity. Um, almost any of any of the, the big names in the industry are going to offer some uh, some level of education that you can sign up and often often it's for free and they're going to have value. Some of them are very technical and you know as a I mean my my background I was my degree initial degree was in a foreign language and my my two masters are in you know, geopolitics, uh, but but in terms of getting that uh, that generalist or or general strategist, strategic generalist, I guess is is uh, what I would call myself. Um, you know, these kinds of things have value to really understanding at a at a high level uh, the the industry. Um, all kinds of backgrounds can be essential in a cybersecurity organization or. A, or an organization that relies on cyber cybersecurity, you know, there's there's a place for those deep technical people, the people that I, I said were a mile mile deep technically, uh, but we need you know we need attorneys in our organization, uh, we need uh, we need people with with bachelors of business administration in in our cybersecurity ex, uh, or organization, and the range of people uh, that that understand the business that don't have to go deep in the technology are particularly important. You know, I mentioned communication a couple of times, and I think that's that's a place where us liberal arts folks can can really shine in cybersecurity. Uh, you know, I mentioned my, my, my background, my educational background, uh, my, my professional background is really geopolitics and, and national security. Um, but I don't want anybody to make the mistake of thinking that they're not qualified to be in the cybersecurity field because they're not qualified today to put their hands on the keyboard and go hunting for, for a cyber threat, uh, because that's that's just not it's just not true. There's such a wide range of skills that need to be employed uh, that that someone who does the work to kind of investigate what's what's needed in cybersecurity will very often find a fit. Now it may not be you know they may not be able to to, to walk in as a as a CISO 
chief information security officer, of course. But uh, but but our organization, as an example, I mean, we've got uh, I'd say I'd say fifty or sixty percent of our people came into this this organization from other places, either other places in the bank, or or other places professionally uh, across other institutions. I being, you know, the poster child, I guess, having having served in, in, in government, then, then a trade association, and now, now an individual institution. Yeah, things like that, I think, are, are important to keep in mind. I, you know, there's a, a real need for not so much what you know, but your ability to learn, right? Because we're talking about a field that is really fast changing. You know, we, we've been immersed in it for a long time, but, um, you know, the technology is changing, the business use of technology is changing, the behavior bad guys, right? Is actually, I said, if you want to study capitalism, study the bad guys, not the good guys. The bad, the capitalism is like rampant in the bad guy ecosystem in terms of the uh, specialization, diversification, the monetization of crime. And so there's, there's so much uh, to know that is still being learned. And then you mentioned, uh, again, attorneys, economists, and so forth, right? We, we don't even really have mature ways to understand the risk of cyber. Right. We're, we're developing what the meaning of what, what is a company responsible for in a court of law, for example. Right. What constitutes responsible behavior in cyberspace to protect the consumer's information? That's still being hashed out, you know, I, I think at a fairly early stage. So there is a ton of work to do to rationalize this whole cyber business. And I think, you know, that that's why it's a little chaotic, I guess. It, it feels that way to me. But it's a great sign that banks are willing to invest so much, for example, to help develop the field because it's in their interest, right, as economic citizens to help us all make sense of this so that people have confidence in the in the services that the bank provides, that they feel like they can operate as a, you know economic animal, uh, you know, without, uh, you know, running in fear every time they conduct a transaction online. You know, so the, the good news and interesting news to me, Marie, is that there's not some static body of knowledge here, right? Um, you know, we're not, we don't have to stand on the street corner waiting for some wizard to educate us here. There's really a dynamic opportunity to bring whatever you have, right? Whatever skills you have. And I think that's a great sign and also a maturation of the industry. There is really a lot of work to be done to rationalize this business. And so we're going to need all kinds of uh, different ideas and different sorts of thinkers here. You know, we, we grew up in a world, right? remember those quaint days, right? You know, we, we would just wait for the wizards to tell us what's correct. And don't worry, we got you covered. We'll, the government will invent the perfect security uh, technology and, you know, we'll take care of you. But uh, guess what? <laughs> that, that day never came, yeah. did it? Yeah, no, I think, uh, think you made a couple of really important points, Tony. One is, you know, if you learn how to learn, you'll never be left behind. Um, and, and, and you're right that, you know, the... the, the the uh, the expertise that each one of us brings, it may be very broad and not terribly deep, but we've all got opportunities to communicate with our neighbors, with our families, with our coworkers. Um, I just just this week, I, I um, somebody posted on one of the social media cha- channels that I'm involved in about you know having clicked on a link and now they had to re- redo their their account, uh, you know, and I. I've admitted not being technical, but hey, I could I could certainly post a comment that says, doesn't matter if it's email or text, never click on a link. And then a small, you know, a short explanation as to as to why you shouldn't and how do you get around that? You know, if if you're 
you know, if the email said it was from walmart.com and it said, click on this link, don't do it. Go to, you know, go to your browser and, and you know, type in walmart.com and look for the same offer. I happen to opine that, you know, you won't find that same offer most of the time. But, but uh, you know, each one of us can, can use the, um, the opportunities that are presented to us to help uh, share the message. Yeah. So the advice to my generation, our generation, Murray, is if you're not doing so already, get out there, find somebody to teach, find somebody to mentor, whether it's your neighbor, your local Lions Club or other civic associations. You know, we've been through a lot and, uh, you know, we all watch our neighbors and our families struggle with all these issues that we've grown up with. So, you know, people, okay, just do MFA. Well, the average citizen has no idea what that means, right? But you know, under the, the, the teaching of someone who's been there, I think those are reasonable problems that we can help people understand and put in place and really would improve their security a lot. Well, it's, it's new. Uh, it's um, it's uh, daunting to a lot of people. Um, you know, it's, oh, I don't do computers. But, you know, anyone that does email is doing computers and potentially placing themselves at risk if they don't take the right, uh, right precautions. Yeah, that is a great example. And again, not, not everyone is a technical wizard, but you know, a lot of what a lot of people need is just a little bit of help, uh, not to solve the problem on their own, but to develop some notion of security intuition, right? When does something not feel right? I think we, we have, we develop that over time in areas like safety and, and uh, public health and so forth. We, you know, we, we develop a, a decision intuition, which is not too bad. And I think that's one of the things that we can help people with. You know, be skeptical of requests for your personal information, for example, clicking on links. You know, I, I think that's that's about intuition, right? When do they feel nervous and who could they trust to call? Well, you know, I think the, the um, theme that, that you um, used at the beginning and that CISA and NCA are using, see yourself in cyber. Um, more and more, um, we do need to see ourselves in cyber. We need to understand that the things we're using every day you know, whether it's our cell phone or our iPad or, or a laptop for, for email. But, you know, soon it will be your refrigerator. I mean, we joke about that. Um, but it's, it's really important for people to understand um, not only what the, what the benefits and the opportunities are that all these things bring. You know, your smart TV is another one. Um, but there are some risks uh, involved in that. And just, you know, uh, buying that smart TV and putting it up on the wall and never changing the password can really put you at risk. And you just you just need to be thinking about those things. And it's and it's not only not not always that you're going to come up with the answer yourself. But as you said, you know, find somebody, call somebody, uh, you know, go to go to the vendor, uh, you know, where you bought that TV and say, okay, I, I want some help setting it up in a secure fashion. You know, what do I need to be thinking about? What do I need to be doing? Um, I, it's, it's, I think it was Clausewitz that said, uh, you know, everything is, nothing in war is complicated, but it's all hard. Uh, that's, it's kind of the converse here. It's, it's, it's not hard, but it's pretty complicated. Well, Murray, I know that courtesy of the U.S. taxpayer, you spent lots of hours studying strategy, military tactics. So, so I was glad you're able to use that line there. And, uh, you know, that's just a, a great closing point that uh, we've let the technology and complexity sort of overwhelm us when what we really want is that the population, you know, it's time to demand a certain level of confidence in our technology. That's a reasonable expectation for us as citizens. 
not to sit back helplessly and let technology sort of take over our lives, but to say, wait a minute, I've got rights here. I have expectations of technology, right? Like I have expectations of safety, like in the construction of roads or in the operation of car or in all the other things that we deal with that are risky in, in our lives. I think that's a great point. Well, Murray, it's wonderful to catch up with you. And it's even better to see you still active in the business, carrying the flag for better security and uh, finding ways to contribute, even when you're in, I forget, your second, third or fourth career, Murray. I've lost track. But, you know, there's a lot of great work yet to be done. And so um, you're still obviously excited by it and bringing value to your current employer and to all of us. So I look forward to staying in touch over the years with you. Meanwhile, that's all we have for today's show. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. And uh, please subscribe to the podcast, all the usual mechanisms. And make sure you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow the Center for Internet Security on uh, social media for the latest cybersecurity news and updates. Until then, I'm Tony Sager with the Center for Internet Security, your host. And thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next episode. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.